Good evening. If you will turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. That will be our main text for this evening. Um, for uh, those of you that are members here, I'd like to thank you all for giving us the opportunity to come down here today and to worship with you all and to let some of us young men lead you in worship. This has been a very edifying day. Um, they say that they save the best for last, but after the two sermons this morning, I'm not sure if that's true. But uh, I hope that I, what I have to say tonight will be uh, about a passage that we don't normally uh, talk about. Hopefully you'll find something that is edifying and uh, applicable to your walk with Christ. Um, I don't know how most of you grew up, but I grew up in kind of a rural North Alabama. And uh, every Saturday, there was some kind of yard work to do. We would always get up early in the morning on Saturday to get all the yard work done before college football started at 11. And um, you know, whether it was mowing the grass, pulling weeds, trimming shrubs, there was always something to do. But uh, there were several times in my life growing up where my family decided that we wanted to try to grow a garden. We wanted to try to grow some vegetables, some some fruits or whatever to uh, eat for dinner and just, uh, you know, just for the fun of it. And uh, growing a garden or just taking care of plants in general is a very difficult job. Um, when you go to plant your garden, you have to make sure that the land that you put it on is going to be good for the plant, that it's good soil. You have to put it in a place where it gets plenty of sunlight and plenty of rain. Um, you have to make sure that it's not too hilly, unless you want to account for that. You want it to be a flat area. And so once you have uh, gotten this piece of land, you have to go in and remove all the big rocks. You have to get a hoe and a shovel, and you have to take out all the small rocks and till the ground and loosen it up. And then once you've done all of that, you can finally plant your seeds. And so you go to Lowe's, you get your packet, rip it open, you put it in your hands, you take it out, and you put it into the soil and you make a little hole, put it in, cover it up, and you do that one by one, row after row, and um, you know, equal distance apart. And so once you've done that, then you can finally start to water it. And watering is something you have to do um, probably every day, maybe two or three times a day. And so you water your plant, and you want to water just enough, but not too much. Um, maybe you want to fertilize the ground as well. But after all of these weeks and weeks, you have to uh, continue to water it. You have to pull the weeds. Um, maybe you put some kind of fence or barrier around your guard to make sure that no critters came in for a mid-afternoon snack. And um, it's just a lot of work. And you do all of this work, and it's harvest time. And you go out to your garden, and there's nothing on there. There's nothing on there. There's no carrots or tomatoes or whatever you were growing. And so you put in all of this hard work for nothing. Nothing was produced from that. We see a similar parable to this in Isaiah chapter 5. Um, now before we get into this um, parable, I want to give a little bit of background. We read in Isaiah 1, verse 1, that Isaiah prophesied during the reigns of King, uh, King Uzziah, King Jotham, King Ahaz, and King Hezekiah. And this is also during the time that the kingdom of Israel had been taken into captivity. God had been very, very patient with them. But because of their sin and their idolatry and they're just, um, you know, the kings being cruel to the people, 
God had enough, and he decided to let the Assyrians come in and take them away. And so this is what had been going on during the time of Isaiah. And so Isaiah mentions the kingdom of Israel a few times, but he mainly focuses on the kingdom of Judah. And it was time for Judah to face their judgment as well. Now Judah was supposed to be the better nation. They were the ones that had Jerusalem, the temple where the, where the presence of God was supposed to dwell among his people. Their kings came from the lineage of David. They had the true king. Um, Judah was supposed to be the better nation. But all throughout Isaiah, we read about the idolatry, the social injustice, and all of the other sins that they were committing just like Israel. And so God has decided that it's finally time for them to pay for their sins. And so the way I want the rest of this evening to work is that we're going to read Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. We're going to read that passage all the way through, and then we're going to go verse by verse, and uh, verse by verse, and uh, just talk about uh, kind of what's going on and what everything means. And at the end of that, I'll make uh, four or five applications that uh, four or five applications that we can apply to our walk as Christians. So Isaiah 5, starting in verse 1. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. Now I will say at this point, um, the vineyard is supposed to represent somebody. But at this point, we don't know who that is. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I had not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste, it shall be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the rain, the clouds, that they rain no rain on it. Now here's the conclusion. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. So going back to verse 1, now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. Isaiah refers to God as his beloved. And it's interesting that the book of Isaiah comes right after the uh, Song of Solomon, where the Shulamite woman refers to her lover as her beloved. And that's obviously because they have a very close and intimate relationship. And Isaiah had a very close and in intimate relationship with his God. God is his beloved. And then we go to the end of that verse, and it mentions that the vineyard is planted on a very fruitful hill. Um, three or four summers ago, I had the opportunity to travel to Israel with my dad. He leads Bible Land tours, and you can't really understand how hilly the, uh, the country of Israel is until you go there 
and you actually see it for yourselves. But the country of Israel is extremely hilly, especially the area of Samaria. And so these farmers, these Israelite farmers, were forced to grow their crops on the side of hills just because there's no flat land. And um, obviously they would do some kind of terraced farming down the side of the hill. But um, there's one adjective that describes this hill, and it's fruitful. That means that fruit has grown on this hill before, which means that this should be a good hill to plant this vineyard on. And so this hill was very fruitful, and he had high expectations for it. So then we come to verse 2, and we'll spend a little bit more ver- time on verse 2 than we will the other verses. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst. God worked as hard as he should have to make sure that this ground was as good as it could be. It says that God... Um, Uh, God chooses the choicest vine. He chose this specific vine because he believed it had the best chance of surviving and giving good crops. Um, A verse similar to this in Jeremiah 2, verse 21 says, Yet I had planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. How then have you turned from me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine? We'll talk about um, something later that's similar to this but the fact that God chose this vine because he had high expectations for it. It says that he built a tower in its midst. And this isn't just some shack that you might store all your rakes and shovels in. This is a huge tower that's supposed to be over the, uh, over the garden. And the idea is that the owner of the vineyard or his servants could, look, could go up there and look out across the vineyard and look out for predators and you know, animals and maybe thieves that might want to come in and take his fruit. And so the vine dresser comes up with a way to protect his vineyard. Uh, in verse 2, going on, it says that he also made a wine press in it. So not only did God prepare for the, uh, the growing of the grapes, but he prepared for the usage of the grapes after they were brought forth. Um, he obviously expected grapes. Otherwise, he would not have gone to all this effort to plant this vineyard. Um, But then we have a very sad ending to this verse. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. Someone that knows a lot more about Hebrew than I do told me that um, the Hebrew word here that's translated wild here, I'm reading the New King James, has more of the idea of a stench or a stink. Just the fact that these grapes aren't only bad or just not good, they're repulsive. You don't want to be anywhere near them. They smell bad. You most certainly do not want to eat these grapes. But the fact that these are just repulsive, the exact opposite of what he wanted this vineyard to produce. And so then we come to verse 3, and God asks the people to look at the vineyard. Look and to judge. And in verse 4, God asks the people of Judah two questions. First, he asked them, What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? This is a rhetorical question because obviously there is nothing else that God should have done to this vineyard to try to ensure its growth. He did everything possible in order for good fruit to be produced. The second question, Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? 
Um, I'm not sure exactly how Isaiah delivered this message, whether he wrote it down and gave it to somebody, uh, but I imagine he probably stood in some street corner in Jerusalem and spoke this to an audience. And uh, I can imagine this audience just kind of falling silent after he asked this question, because they have no idea. And uh, they also have no idea that at this point, they don't know that they're the vineyard that uh, Isaiah is talking about. They're the vineyard that is disappointing to God. So then we come to verse 5. And now it is time for God's judgment on the vineyard. Here is how God is going to deal this sin. Verse 5. And now please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled. God is going to remove all protection that he had for this garden and this vineyard. He was going to let it be trampled. This is probably alluding to the fact that he was going to let the Babylonians come in and take over Judah and take over Jerusalem. God was done with these people, and he was going to let them go into captivity. And in verse 6, verse 6 we begin to see the deterioration of the vineyard itself. Uh, Verse 6, I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. Uh, God is going to stop taking care of his vineyard. He's taking his hands off, and he's letting the natural course of what would happen to this vineyard if there were no vine dresser. He's going to take his hands away and just let what happened happen. And that is the people of Babylon, of Babylon are going to come and take them captive. So lastly, he commands the clouds to stop raining on the land. God's going to cut off what was supporting this vineyard. He's going to cut off his help and his support to the people of Judah. Their judgment had come. And so we get to verse 7 finally, the conclusion. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. If Isaiah's audience hadn't figured out who the vineyard is at this point, it's pretty obvious. It's them. They were the ones that had disappointed God because of their sin. And uh, they, they knew who the vineyard means uh, now plainly. And just a side note, for the, end of this, uh, for the end of this verse, he looked for justice, but behold oppression, for righteousness, but behold a cry for help. The Hebrew words for justice and oppression actually sound similar, and the Hebrew words for righteousness and cry or help also sound similar. So Isaiah is ending this in a way, kind of like might we, might we, might we, uh, like a rhyme or something, some kind of mnemonic to help us remember this message. And so Isaiah wants this to stick with these people. So the summary of this passage, basically the well-beloved, that is God, has worked hard to ensure this vineyard would produce good grapes. And when it did not, he destroys it. He lets it go to ruin. God had intended the kingdom of Judah to be a good and a holy nation. And when they turned from God, he sent judgment because of their sin. So what does this have to do with us? This evening I want to give uh, five brief applications um, that we can take and apply to our own lives. Um, When I made a list of applications that I got, the things that I got from this passage, uh, I made this list of five, and there was really, I I wanted to just do two or three, but there really weren't any that I didn't feel like I could skip out. And um, so briefly, five applications. First, God expects us 
to be good. Turn to 3 John. Turn to John's third epistle. Just as God expected the people of Israel and Judah to be good, we are to be good as well. 3 John verse 11 says, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. God has created us for him and for his purpose. Colossians 1.16, the end of it, that verse says, All things were created through him and for him. And we know that God is good. And we are created for his good purpose. So number one, God expects us to be good. Second, we don't need to be blind to our sins, but we need to be honest about them when we're confronted about them. Turn to 2 Samuel 12. 2 Samuel 12. Up until verse 7 of Isaiah 5, the people of Judah were blind to the fact that they were the vineyard that had disappointed God. They were the ones that had done wrong and had not been the good and holy nation that God had intended them to be. This is very similar to a time when Nathan, the prophet, confronts David. Um, In 2 Samuel 12, uh, Nathan tells David the story of a rich man who had a visitor come, and instead of taking one of his sheep to feed him, and one of his many sheep, he takes the one ewe lamb of a poor man to give uh, for his guest to eat. And the rich man obviously represents David, and the poor man represents Uriah, when David took Uriah's only wife. 2 Samuel 12, verses 5 through 7. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. David had sinned, and the kingdom of Judah had sinned. But when faced with their sin, they had two different reactions. We go on to see that David repented of his sins, and the kingdom of Judah obviously did not. So when you are faced with your sin, whether you realize it yourself or someone that loves you comes to you about it, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to your sin? So first, God expects us to be good. Second, we need to be honest about our sin. Third, we need to remember that Jesus is the true vine. Turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. The people of Judah had failed at being God's vineyard. They had not met any expectations that God had intended for them. But many years later, Jesus comes, and he is the true vine. John 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that, d- d- that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. 
But this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Jesus, as I said before, is the perfect example of what God intended his vineyard to be. And we need to learn from his example. And we need to follow his example. So Jesus is a true vine. Fourth, God will protect us. Just as God was going to protect the kingdom of Judah, he will protect us. Psalm, 60, Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. As long as we are righteous and we are true to God and we are faithful to him, he will protect us. But we also need to know that if we are not faithful, we are not righteous, God will take away that, that, uh, that protection. And that leads to my last and final application. We need to be wary and know that God will judge us for our deeds. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This will be our last passage for the evening. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Just as he judged Judah for their deeds, God is going to judge us one day for the things that we have done in this life. So our five applications, briefly. First, God expects us to be good. Second, we need to be honest about our sin. Third, we need to remember that Jesus is the true vine and follow his example. Fourth, if we're faithful, God will protect us. And finally, God will judge us for our deeds. The kingdom of Judah was a disappointment to God. We read about that in Isaiah and many of the other prophets. Um, he, they were a disappointment to God because they were not following him. And they were not living like they should. So this evening, I want each one of you to ask yourselves, are you following God as you should? If there's something that you've done in your life that you need to correct, or maybe you just need to start your walk with God. If there's anything we can do tonight to help you with your spiritual life and your relationship with God, please come to the front row as we stand and as we sing.